Hey there, I'm Grace. And I'm Amelia. And welcome to the Women Invest in Real Estate podcast, where we talk about getting started in real estate, scaling, and we give you the inside scoop about our day-to-days as full-time investors. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Women Invest in Real Estate podcast. Today, we are super excited to welcome Natalie Palmer as a guest. She is an Airbnb co-host, a real estate investor. She also has her own podcast, No Vacancy. So we're so excited to have you, Natalie. Thank you for being here. Thank you, guys. I listen to you every single week. So it's such a treat to be on here right now. Thank you guys for having me. Yes, absolutely. excited. Is there anything else you want our audience to know about you before we dive straight into short-term rentals? Because you are our first short-term rental specific guest. Wow. What an honor. Yeah. I guess we'll get into the whole short-term rental thing, but just quickly about me. I've been a short-term rental host for five and a half years. I currently manage 10 properties all in Big Bear, California, and I only own one of those. So I mostly do co-hosting and management. And then like Amelia said, I also have my own podcast. It's a short-term rental show called No Vacancy, the podcast. And you two were just guests on that. So thank you guys for coming on there. And then I'm also the co-founder of Level Up Your Listing Women's Summit, which is a all-women's short-term rental summit in Scottsdale, Arizona. And we had our first one this year, and it's coming back March of next year. So if you're interested in learning more about the short-term rental industry, you can go to levelupyourlistingsummit.com for tickets for that. So many crazy things, so many exciting things going on. When is like the first time you even heard of Airbnb and were like, okay, I went in on this? I'll give you my little backstory of how I got started. My parents had a second home in Big Bear. I'm from Southern California. So that was our like vacation getaway place. And just as my sister and I got older and grew up and we weren't using the place as much, I had heard of Airbnb. This was back in 2017. I had stayed at a handful of Airbnbs and I just, for whatever reason, reason was like, I think we should list this place. We're not really using it. The original goal was only to list it for one winter season. Actually, not even that. We were just going to list it the week between Christmas and New Year's because it's so busy in Big Bear at that time. We hated going up there during that week. And I just was like, mom, dad, I think we could get a pretty good nightly rate. We're not going to use it. Like, let's just try. And within 45 minutes of publishing the listing, it's a two bed, two bath condo, like 800 square feet, tiny place. We got a $2,500 booking. They booked five nights at 500 a night. And at that point, the dopamine hit and you were like, I'm addicted. Yes, that's yeah. literally what it was. It was like the, they were checking in like December 24th. We listed it on the 22nd and they booked it within 45 minutes to check in Christmas Eve and stay through like the 29th. And then we got another booking right after that for New Year's. And we just were like, all right, let's just see how this does the entire winter season. After that, we took all of those earnings and my parents put it to a down payment on another property there. And we're like, okay, manage this one for us too. And while we were renovating that second one, I just had neighbors start approaching me and they were like, hey, your places seem to be booked all the time. We're with some management company up here and your reviews are better. It seems like you're getting more traction and a higher nightly rate. Can you manage hours? So everything happened very quickly and just like snowballed from what I thought was going to be a one week side hustle. And I've never looked back. It became a full time thing. And so I co-hosted for about three years before my husband and I bought our own property in that same condo complex. And today it's 10 units total there that we're managing. That's such a fun story. And I love it too, because I know that when you first started, like just hearing that you didn't know everything about how to be an Airbnb host. No, you were just like, (laughs) all right, like I can figure this out. And I think that's 
what real estate investing is all about when you get started. It's just like having the confidence that you can be a problem solver and figure it out. It's crazy because if I had set out to be like a property manager, I think I would have failed because I think I would have overthought it. And what's crazy is how many clients we poached from the big property management companies in Big Bear who have been there for decades. And I had no idea what I was doing, but I think just caring and giving a shit about your guests goes such a long way. And there's so many like old school managers up there and we can get into this, but we immediately were doing things like letting people self-check in with a smart lock. And it's way easier than driving to the old school office in town. And we were on Airbnb, which was the trendier app rather than going through these old clunky direct booking sites. And so don't feel intimidated at all. Like we poached so many clients from these well-established companies just because I almost think like not knowing what I was doing was like in a weird way, an advantage of like being more innovative. So when those other neighbors were like, Natalie, please help us. You mentioned smart locks, but like, what was that like as somebody who did not set out to be a property manager (laughs) and maybe didn't have a ton of experience? Like, what were you learning? What were you implementing? At what point were you like, oh my God, I am a co-host. Like you started to identify as that. There was a lot of mistakes with managing in the early days. Like I would help set up their properties. A lot of them had been decorated in a very classic, like big bear, small ski town way. And I was like, this is not going to perform well. So I would come in and I would charge the owners for like new decorations, but I redecorated everything for free, which I would never do that again. Now I charge an hourly rate for setting up, but there's, you know, a lot of stuff in the beginning where I was like trying to just like seal the deal and get the client and be scrappy about it. So a lot of inefficiencies there. But the biggest discovery I had when it clicked for me that I'm a manager was actually, shockingly enough, the more properties I took on, the easier it became. One thing I ran into in the early days was when we hired a cleaner and we only had two properties to give her. I had no exclusivity over that cleaner. She had like 15 houses on her roster And there were days where our check-in time was 3 p.m. And she was like, sorry, I'm running late. I'll be there by 2.30. And we were just panicking and we're like in a bind wondering if she'll show up. Once I had enough properties, we hired her on as a full-time exclusive cleaner for us. And now that made such a world of a difference. Like we give her enough work to keep her busy. Same with our handyman. He's almost, we give him enough business. Like if anything's broken, he shows up in 15 minutes. And coming to like restock the units became easier instead of just doing a whole drive to restock two properties. I was bringing like doing a whole Costco run and just going with like a gallon of detergent to each unit, dropping off a gallon of shampoo. So all of the operations counterintuitively enough, but they all got easier when we scaled up. What are you charging as a co-host? I'm just curious. Do you charge 20%? Because I think a Mm -hmm. lot of people out there are like scared to talk about numbers and things like that, but we love that shit. Good question. So I started with 20% and I actually just recently changed it to 25 for this reason. The way I was doing it was I would charge 20% and I would also ask for reimbursement for the cleaning fee and for supplies. So like I'd do my Costco run and I'd be like, okay, I restock toilet paper, shampoo, detergent, send me these items back. But what was tricky was sometimes I would go to the units and I would only need to restock like six rolls of toilet paper in this unit and like three rolls here and eight rolls there. And I was trying to itemize like what is the price per toilet paper roll from Costco so the bookkeeping became so difficult so I actually upped my percentage to 25% and now I include supplies in it which is great too because I get all the credit card points for that and so I love buying everything and I don't have to do the bookkeeping headache and then for my 
owners, I'm able to kind of sell them like an all-inclusive package. Like I'll take a commission and then I just cover the expenses. The one thing I still reimburse for though is cleaning fees. Just because my cleaners, they want to be paid the day of as soon as the job is done. And I don't want to bug all seven of my owners to pay me back that quickly. So I bill them at the end of the month for the commission and reimburse for cleaning fees. I never I even love- thought about that because it's not like you have access to all their bank accounts where you can just send the money to the cleaner from their accounts. That's yes. different than like what I do. I can just pay my cleaner, you know? Let me talk about that too. So I am very specifically a co-host and not a property manager. Even though I do the same exact roles as a property manager, in California at least where I am, and I think a lot of other states have this, you have to have a broker's license to legally be a property manager. I do not have that. So I am a co-host. And the biggest difference comes down to handling funds. As a co-host, I am not able, I'm legally not allowed to collect the money and then pay the owner out. On Airbnb, I can split my commission. They have a feature where you can like build in your split payout. But like Verbo doesn't have that. If we were doing a direct booking site, I would need the owner to collect everything and then pay out my portion. So that's why I do have to carry the balance of like those supplies and paying out the cleaning. So make sure if anybody here is currently co-hosting and not a broker and not an official property manager, make sure you are not handling funds. That's such a important distinction. And that brought me to two different things that I want to talk about. First, I love how you said you changed. I feel like people get really stuck on, I have to do it perfect the first time and I have to figure it out right away. And Amelia and I have experienced this with Wire. Sometimes we've done things and we're like, you know what? Just kidding. That wasn't great. I'm going to change. And how you decided to change the structure of your fees. And I'm sure you'll have many more changes down the road as you keep growing and doing things. So I think that's really important for people to hear. Anything else about like big lessons or changes or pivots that you made in your co-hosting? The biggest discovery I've had as a co-host is that owners are oftentimes more difficult to work with than guests. Everybody thinks that the guests are going to be bad. Guests are there for three days tops. And if they're tough, you never have to see them again. You can block them from ever booking again. Owners, most of them are great. But like I've had a couple where it's a very difficult relationship on both extremes. I've either had the micromanaging owner that is like, why is this the price? Why did you send that? Why did you message that? Why is this? That is so hard to work with. And then I've had the other extreme where the owner is completely detached and their washer dryer broke and I cannot get them to get a new one installed or call their warranty or get it fixed or anything. So be very, I would honestly say be more choosy about your owners than even the property. A lot of people have like certain properties that they want to manage. I think it's more important to make sure the owner is a good fit and you have the same values as them. I love that you bring this up because there's another woman that I follow on Instagram who built this huge co-hosting business in Utah. She was co-hosting like 30 to 50 units. I can't remember how many. And she literally one day just called it quits. Was like, I'm absolutely done because she was like, I'm so tired of dealing with the owners of the properties. So what have you specifically done to like set yourself up for success? Do you have like a contract that lines out what is expected of them and what happens if they don't perform or things like that. 
I do have a very detailed contract, which I actually have it for sale on my website. If anybody needs a co-hosting contract, you can pick that up. And that's another thing that has changed over the years. Like I constantly am like, I need to add this to that agreement. But I think really the biggest thing is setting expectations. And it's just a matter of having conversations. I just had an owner recently, the most recent owner we signed on, who was really pushing back on my commissions and asking why I was charging what I was charging, asking like like how I would determine pricing for the listing, like all these intricate things. And I don't mind answering questions. Like I want my owners to feel educated, but it was to the point where it was like, why are you hiring me if you're thinking you can do it better? Like just self-manage. I I don't, I don't know why you're even like hiring me at all. And I just really like put my foot down with her. And I was like, we went back and forth for a while and I was trying to explain. And then finally it was like the sixth email. I was like, you know, this is my contract. This is how I run things. You can ask any of my other owners for references, but I'm not able to change this and give you a custom package. This is how I work. She immediately responded. I was like, okay, you're hired. And it was just like one of those things where I have had no issues with her. I kind of thought like, do I want to work with her? Like there's some red flags here, but I think if you just like put your foot down and show that you're a professional, and this is how you work. That's been a huge help. But I would say too, like trust your gut. There have been other owners I have turned down. I've said no way more than I've said yes to people because I could tell they're not willing to invest in upgrades for their short-term rental. This is like a hospitality business. Your place has to look trendy. You have to be on top of repairs. I have to know a big thing for me is I have like a fund or I guess like a contingency plan where in my contract, I say I'm allowed to spend up to $500 without consulting the owner. So if a garbage disposal is broken, I do not have to go call the owner and get approval. Like I can just get a plumber in there to fix that before the next check-in and then bill them after. So having stuff like that in place is really helpful because you have a four hour window between checkout and check-in to make sure that things are running smoothly. You said something that made me think of this question. As somebody who has a short-term rental, how would you advise them to know, should I get a co-host? Should I get a property manager? Or should I just self-manage? Do you have like a rule of thumb? Yeah. So the biggest thing this will come down to is cost. The moment you hire a co-host or property manager, you're giving away 20 up to sometimes 40%. And that's going to be the biggest issue. I would say most people can self-manage. Even if you have no experience, you just heard my story. I started this entire thing with no experience. It's not that overwhelming. And there are so many tools and softwares and things, and we can get into that to help you automate and simplify stuff. So in most cases, I think people can self-manage. I would say when it's not the right fit is if you have different goals as an investor. If you would rather be growing your investment portfolio, hire a co-host because it's too distracting to deal with the burnout of guests and different stuff going on and also be constantly focusing on growing your portfolio. But I think for just like the average person who just wants to own like three to five properties and you're comfortable like just responding to guests occasionally, it's not that bad. The tricky thing is there's it doesn't take a ton of hours to self-manage. The hard part is that you don't know when those hours are going to be. Like I can't plan for when the guest texts me like, hey, the cleaner seems to have left it dirty. And I'm like, shit, now I got to go into like repair mode and send the cleaner back in. And so even though it doesn't take that much time to put out that fire, it what sucks is like you just can't plan around it. Like I've been at dinners and that's when I've had guests reach out and you just have to drop it and deal with it. All amazing points. So you talked about, you know, there's different softwares and things that you can use to make 
managing easier. And I just heard this term the other day. It's a tech stack. And I feel so fancy using it. I'm like a tech stack. <laughs> Wait, that is fancy. And I thought that when you brought that up, Amelia, I was like, oh, I love that tech stack. <laughs> I know. But it's basically just what different platforms are you using to manage? So I'd love for you to talk through a couple of those, like your pricing, your if you're using like automated messaging, things like that. Like, how are you making this easier for you? Yeah. Wait, but first, if you had to do one, if you could only have one, what would it be? If you're an investor, you should absolutely have insurance. Steadily is a fast and affordable landlord insurance provider. From short-term rental insurance to tenant insurance to umbrella insurance, Steadily has everything you need for coverage in one spot. Their website makes it super easy to get a free quote in minutes. Check out the link in our show notes to get a quote from Steadily today. Okay, I have to give one, I'll give one hardware and one software. I'll do it that way. So Airbnb is like a given. I know people talk shit on Airbnb and there's a huge movement for direct booking, but like be on Airbnb for sure. And then within that, my one software recommendation would be Price Labs to help automate your pricing. Airbnb has a built-in pricing algorithm called Smart Pricing. Don't use it. It's horrible. It underprices significantly. I had like one year for Christmas, it was suggesting like $125 a night and we ended up getting $650 a night for that week. So do not use price la- or do not use smart pricing. Get price labs. That's crazy. Yeah, it's it's wild. And then my hardware piece would be you have to have a smart lock. Do not do a lockbox with a physical key. People can make copies of the key. They'll lose them and it's just way less secure. Do the smart lock. My favorite is the Schlage and code and you can program up to like a hundred codes, which you don't even need that many. But my cleaner has her own code. My handyman has his own code. Every guest gets a new code and you can program when the code becomes active at check-in time and it deactivates at checkout time. So those are the two I can't live without. But if we're going to go a little further, other ones that just make life much easier. Hardware side, I love the Nest thermostat. Being in the mountains, I can preheat our properties before guests arrive, which is always like a nice touch. And then if people leave and forget to turn the heat off or whatever, you can always turn that off from home. There's also a lot of really cool hardwares right now where you can remotely turn on or turn off your like hot tub and your pool. You can control all of that from your phone. Another good one is a noise monitor. There's two brands out there, Minute or Noise Aware. I like them both. And it's just a little, it won't listen to the conversations or anything like that, but it just will track the decibels. So if there's been like 10 minutes of sustained noise past a certain level, you'll get notified that a party is probably starting. And then another good one is the ring doorbell just on your front porch. Do not put cameras in your place like a weirdo. But that seems to be like the camera, the noise monitor, smart lock, thermostat, and then like remote control things for your pool and hot tub. Oh, and Wi-Fi. I also use a thing for my Wi-Fi. So if somebody tells me that the Wi-Fi is down, I can reset it from my phone at home. So that's been helpful. That way your guests don't have to go into the whole Wi-Fi hub and everything. And then from the software side, love Price Labs. Another good one is either Breezeway or Turno. Those are two apps that can help track or like help streamline all of your cleaning processes. So you can find cleaners through there and 
You can put up checklists of everything you want your cleaners to clean routinely. You can upload pictures. So if there's a certain way you like the bed made with your throw pillows there, they can like match the picture perfectly. And then they actually have to take a picture and send it to you before it checks off that they completed the task. There's also like checklists in there where they can mark inventory. So they can say like, we're running low on detergent or dishwasher pods or anything. And then I can like connect that to my Amazon or whatever and send like Amazon refills to my cleaner's house and then she'll bring them to the next cleaning. So yeah, I live like two and a half hours from my properties. I went to them once all of last year. Like I manage almost everything completely remotely. You are legitimately running a business. Yeah. Like all of this stuff is like you are not a dabbler. You are like full-time Airbnb co-host basically. And it's not a full-time hours, but you know what I mean. Right, right. You're on full-time, but you're not working that whole time. But you guys, I'm telling you, it's so doable. Like this sounds so over your head, but they make these softwares to be so intuitive friendly. I mean, even like these Turno and Breezeway, these two cleaning softwares I just mentioned, these are very like very simple things to use. They're designed for a cleaner who might not be an English speaker, who's, you know, not tech savvy, but can get on and use this. And you guys can figure these out. Like it's, I don't know. It just, it bums me out when I see so many people are immediately like they write off short to rental because they think they have to either give away 20% of profits to a property manager or it's too much to manage. It's so worth it. And you make three to five times more than long-term incomes, long-term rent does. So it's very doable. There's other tools out there. Another good one is Hostfully. They have this digital guidebook feature, which is amazing. So you can have all your instructions, your check-in instructions, where to park. It will put it will connect like a weather widget and tell guests how far you are from the airport. It can come up with suggestions of like local restaurants and stuff. So now I don't even answer questions for guests. Like if they ask me anything like, where should we go to eat? I'm just like, here's one link to our digital guidebook. It gets updated all the time. It's really like sleek and professional looking and makes a good impression with people. And I feel like an automated messaging. Okay, that's the one. I have a couple automated messages that go out. This is the one where I've heard of people who automate everything. I don't know how you do that because there's so many nuanced questions. Like I've had people will ask me in the same message, like, what are the pool hours? Can we get a late checkout? And can I bring a pet? And I've noticed that the automated message will only pick up like one of the keywords and only answer one of the things. I don't know. I found it to be pretty glitchy. And I also like to know what questions people have because then I can add those to my guidebook to try and cut down on questions. So that's the one thing where like I'm still reading every single message from guests. Even if the automated message went out fine, I would still recommend you're still reading all the communication or things like people will check out and ask me like, hey, did we leave our MacBook charger? And I can't have an automated message be like, yes, you left it in the bedroom. Like, we'll ship it back to you. Like, there is stuff where I have to intervene, but it's all minor. But yeah, Airbnb has its own like built in automated messaging if you want to use that. And there's other tools now that use like AI for automated messaging that are a little bit better. But yeah, that's like one where I'm not like I haven't fully given up the range on that yet unless you hire like a VA but I still think you need human connection when it comes to the messaging so are you using Airbnb to send like the check-in instructions like that automated messaging but then you're still responding to the individual okay exactly got it it. so let's move into like just the Airbnb industry overall unless Grace did you have any follow-up questions there I have one other but I do want to hear what your thoughts are the future industry 
Yeah. So obviously, if you're in the real estate industry at all, you have maybe seen that Airbnb is slowing down a little bit or there's more restrictions coming out, things like that. So like, how are you navigating that as a co-host and an investor yourself? Yeah, the toughest thing is a lot of cities right now are moving to only allow 30 days plus, so midterm rentals basically. And so I think the biggest thing is if you are running your numbers and trying to purchase a place as a short-term rental, you have to today make sure that it's also going to make sense as a midterm. If the numbers don't make sense with that, it's not worth doing the deal because so many cities are changing regulation. You also really have to pay attention. There's a lot of places where there's just a full-on cap. like They will not let you get a short-term rental permit. I was actually just looking into Louisville, Kentucky because my sister moved there. And so I thought that that was kind of like an up-and-coming market. And I like that I'd have family eyes on the property, but they have a really strict rule that you cannot have a rental within 600 feet of another rental. So I had found this deal that I loved and there was another rental like 550 feet away from it. Like I would not get a permit under any circumstances. So, you know, in that case you can't. So you just have to really be looking at the regulation right now. And another thing to look at too is caps or like if there's a moratorium in place. Palm Springs is one area where they have a rule where individual precincts in Palm Springs you can't go over 20% of all housing units being short-term rentals. So there's certain cities that are at that 20% and now they have a wait list. There's other little pockets of Palm Springs that are at like 11, 12, 13, 14, 15%. So just make sure because it could literally be like one block over makes the difference of which area it's in and whether you could get that permit. Wow. I did not know that. So how would you, last question I have is how would you even begin to understand that? Are you calling the local city council, consulting the website? Best way to do it, you guys, join a Facebook group of hosts in the area you're interested in. Facebook groups have been the number one resource. And obviously the city and county websites, like they post all of this, but it's hard to read it and stay on top of it. Like it is overwhelming. Even the Big Bear policies, which I know those like the back of my hand, when I go read the actual ordinance, I'm like, wait, are we are we even legally compliant? Like, what did I just read? Like, it's so overwhelming and you have to break it down piece by piece. And there are a lot of really great people on Facebook groups who are like, hey, guys, like bullet point summary, this, 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 and still go do your due diligence and don't just rely on like a Facebook post. But it helps me a lot to like understand what I'm reading and then like go read the actual terms. So please use Facebook. I've unfortunately, I wish I could say that realtors are a really great resource for me. They have not been. I have had like two, maybe three times now where I had put a deal in, told the realtor that we were planning to do this as a short-term rental, asked them if it's okay. And all along they said, yep, yep, yep. You're all good. You're all zoned for it. And then halfway through escrow, we found out on our own, either the HOA didn't allow it, they were capped, there was a wait list, there was a moratorium. So that sucks because I would love to put faith in realtors and maybe I'm just using the wrong ones, but like you have to check this stuff on your own. If in doubt too, call your city front desk. They will help you. They're very helpful. Don't be intimidated. The cities want, like the city front desk clerk will help you because if there's a way you can get a permit, they want to issue it because you have to pay for that. So they want the money for it. So they'll be helpful. So don't be intimidated by that either. I think the best tip here is to just narrow it down to like 
three markets you're interested in for short-term rental and do it that way because it's way too overwhelming to just be like, well, maybe here, maybe here, maybe here and be calling 15 cities. Like That's not feasible. So just pick three that you're really interested in, join those Facebook groups and call the city front desk for, for those three. And one other thing that I think you do really well that I want to bring up is like I mentioned earlier in the episode, you treat this like very much like a business and you're not just like a mom and pop operator who has outdated furniture, like bad customer service. Like you're actually treating it like a business. And I think a lot of people during COVID or like recently have thought like, oh my gosh, you make so much money on Airbnb. I can do that too. And not really giving it like the attention that it deserves. And so I think a lot of those people will be going away over the next couple of years. Absolutely. And I'll add to that point, do not get into short-term rental if either your design is not your strong suit or you're not willing to hire an interior designer. Because I can tell you from the properties I manage, 10 of them, condos, all the same number of bedrooms, bathrooms, same square footage, sleep the same number of people, literally the same location. They're all in the same condo complex. They have the same cleaner, same manager, same handyman, everything. The only difference between these 10 properties is design. And between my top performing property and my worst performing, the top one is making more than twice as much as my worst performing. And I could literally rank all 10 of them from like worst design to best designed. Like it's that cut and dry. And all of the money that we're making like follows that exactly. It all comes down to design. So if this is not your strong suit, I would stick to like midterm rentals or long-term rentals. At this point, you cannot compete in a short-term rental unless you have an outstanding design. And you literally have like the perfect case study. Yes. To prove yes. this. Like, that's actually crazy. That's that's you should publish that. <laughs> like, I, I made some reviewed. reels about it. But yeah, maybe we should like, I don't know, get get like Harvard to come study this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Bring Harvard out. <laughs> I yeah, love it. Design is it, it's huge right now. And oh, Amelia, you just said something I wanted to elaborate on and I lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, it's okay. But yeah, basically it it really comes down to design right now. Like that's what I'm seeing is the number one differentiator. Oh, you were talking about running it like a mom and pop versus a business. I guess I'll just kind of like end on this. This is one other point, like tip I have too with Airbnb. I think it's about like finding a balance. You don't want to be so business heavy that you lose the personal touch that short-term rentals have. But also the mom and pop places I think are getting like a little bit outdated at this point. People do want more professionalism. So like one tip I have is I I really personally don't like when I see Airbnb hosts who make their profile picture like a company logo and it'll be like Big Bear Stays or something instead of just their face. Use your name as a host. Like say like, hi, I'm Natalie and use your profile picture. I think that a lot of people are trying to like compete with hotels, but we are not hotels. It's very, very different. And I just think that there's like something special about a vacation rental and more personal. So lean into that, but still like bring in the professionalism, if that makes sense. I love that. That's an amazing tip. Where can people find you if they want to learn more about you, the summit and everything that you're up to? So I'm most active on Instagram and everything I'm doing is usually linked through there. So you can just find me at Natalie Palmer. Our summit is levelupyourlistingsummit.com. And then I'm also the host of No Vacancy, the podcast. New episodes come out every Wednesday. 
Thank you so much for being on our podcast. You shared so much actionable knowledge. Yeah, I feel that was like good. we love that. If you are looking to reach out to Natalie, we will link everything in the show notes for you. But thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you in the next one. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you loved today's episode, please leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to check us out and join our community at womeninvestinrealestate.com and follow us on Instagram at wirewithtwoeyes.community.